Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an uh, act. All right. Welcome to the Next Step Pod. My name is Brad. And I'm Jay. I'm an addict. Jay, how's your week going so far? It's going good, man. Got to surf since uh, last week. I surfed Friday and Saturday with you. I, I, we got surfed together. It was fun. The water's still warm, which is great because it it's almost November. It's it right is, around the corner. It's early October, but we'll... But I'm always thinking one month ahead because, you know, I do, I'm do. i in sales, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> You've already closed down the month. already closed down the month, yeah, pretty much. And so, but uh, yeah, just getting, getting out and getting some surf. Had a long drive today, but... Surf you know, today? Um, I did not surf Dave. I surfed yesterday and had a blast. The waves were two to three plus on occasional sets. And uh, the water was still a good 67 to 69 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, this week's surf report by Jay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, any any oh, uh, yeah. addiction well, I mean, related news w- this one week? One thing, it was kind of a bummer. I mean, we talked about this last week in one of the meetings I attended to, uh, uh, one of the ARP meetings I went to. Uh, there's nine deaths last week, nine deaths of young people in South Orange County alone from opioid overdose. South Orange County, so from South where Orange County, uh, from basically Huntington Beach down to San Clemente. That is not very far. No, I mean, what is that, like fifth, 10 miles, maybe? 15? Maybe 10 just crazy. 15 probably on the, the on the on the 405. Those of you who are listening, the 405 to the 5 freeway, and the 5 down south in San Clemente. And that's a very small, small uh, geographic map for to nine people in seven-day period. And young, like they're 25. All young. They're all 25, to, I think, to and under. 18 to 25, yeah. Yeah, so I, I kept seeing it. seems like every day there was at least one. And then like, I saw a couple posts of, like, another one today. Yeah. A few people that follow it pretty closely. It's... It, it, it's an epidemic. It, that, was, that was overwhelming to hear that all last week. Did yeah. you know next week is Red Ribbon Week? Actually, I did, Brad. I got called um, today, actually, on my drive home from Palm Springs uh, from the, pre- uh, the principal of uh, Laguna Beach High School. The principal called you. Yeah, I, well, I spoke there. So I had an opportunity last. Let me back up. Last year, I had an opportunity to speak there to the freshman, sophomore class. And I'm not in like a big assembly, but kind of broken up into several different meetings with the kids and myself and got to tell my story. I remember that. Yeah, remember I told you about that? I was nervous because I get nervous in big crowds sometimes. But um, we showed a DVD that someone, some guy I think who works in recovery put together of young teens and getting out of serious addictions. One of those shock videos. Shock videos. Very, very shock. Like, what do you want? I think those are always going to be cheesy and uh, they're going to lose their touch. But every time I watch those videos, even to this day, they're like, wow gnarly what people go through and it makes my story sometimes see worse. Makes it real. Yeah, it makes it real. Makes it real. Reminds you. So so anyway, so he got my number. It's Red Ribbon Week and um, this time he asked me to speak in which I'm really nervous in front of the entire high school body. So freshmen. Hold on. So I've been to these it's been a while since I've been in high school, but you're sitting in the auditorium. Yes. And you got like everyone in there with the one microphone and the yes. one guy yes. down in the front is going to inspire. Yes, you. that's yes. you. Yeah, I'll be st- I'll be not <laughs> down there. I'll be actually standing on stage with a microphone. And the flat <laughs> out asked, I'm not laughing at you. Yeah, I'm sure you're not. So uh, he actually he actually asked me flat. I don't know if he can pick up on a sense of extreme nerves that were coming through the phone because I was acting pretty like yeah yeah. I mean that's fine. I'm like I'm in sales. I'll be fine. You know I've been doing this for a while. And uh, I said I told him flat out. I'm like hey, just so you know, pre warning. Like I don't do this for a living. Like I don't speak to to large bodies of people for the, he goes well yeah that's a good question because I, I wanted to see like how comfortable are you with a mic I know last time it was smaller groups of maybe 50 to 60 kids at a time 
Oh, you got a mic up with a lapel you have a mic, mic? No, or like holding mic? a mic, and then they'll have a mic actually in the stand because part of my thing when I do talk to groups, I've talked to a few different high schools now and young body, is I like questions. I like them to like hopefully get comfortable enough with me to then ask questions. Can I recommend don't sniff like Donald Trump does when he's yes, holding he, the mic. He does sniff a lot. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> in the mic. Yeah, in like that. So I'll try to I'll try to make sure I don't have the sniffles and uh, make sure I spray a lot of Afrin before I go. <laughs> And uh, make sure I'm nice and clean and uh, ready to go. So, so I'm excited. I'm nervous. I, I kind of don't really know where to go. I mean, you're a parent that's got teenage kids in high school. What would what would you wish that I would cover knowing what you know about addiction? I'm going back to I probably went to four of those when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And you probably ditched those days. I didn't listen if I was there. <laughs> I listened. Yeah. Uh, I think there's probably – Four groups of people you're going to talk to, and that's and I and I'm going to tell you who I think those are. So you could write this down if you want. All right, I'm going to take some notes. One of them Wise were man. those who have never done drugs, never you know they're not drinking, they haven't drank, drunk, been drunk, and they are probably deciding whether they are or not. Probably, hopefully, freshmen. But I would I was in that category, and when I heard the speeches, I always appreciated. The, the speaker telling me that I was making the right choice. Okay, so because acknowledge I, them for... Because it seemed like everybody around me was not making that choice I was. And so I really liked it when I had this guy or this girl stand up and say, I'm an addict and I think you people who aren't doing it are awesome. That, yeah, just, yeah. that just gave me a lot of confidence in what I was doing is right. Besides at church, you know, I heard at church a lot, but I love hearing these these people that have lived a different life than me tell me that that was good. I think uh, another segment are those that are partying or drinking and doing some drugs and everything's still going fine. They're pulling it off. Yeah. I had a lot of friends like that in high school. I always seem to go way overboard. Uh, you know, I was one of those kids the first time I drank, I, you know, I blackout drunk. And every time after that, same thing, I would smoke so much weed that I would be gone and I would take everything to the next level and I got expelled real quickly and expended, you know, all sorts of stuff. So you're saying you would not be in one of those two categories? Uh, I would not be. No, the minute I started doing drugs, alcohol, I started failing every grade. So it was. So then that's the third category would be those that are currently abusing Drugs or alcohol. So let's say number two is like functional addicts, right? Like in the beginning. Well, I wouldn't even say say they're addicts, just users. Yeah. You know, they would probably consider themselves recreational users. They show up parties on weekends, and most people probably, from my experience, aren't didn't take don't take it to extreme. Most of my friends that became addicts were, you know, drinking and smoking and partaking for periods of time until it caught up to them, and it worked until it didn't work anymore, and then it slowly took their life apart. Yeah, that's the crazy part I was telling the principal is like you, you may kids may be able to like deal with it and they think that they're they're working, they're getting straight A's still. I had a lot of friends even go off to college that were recreational users, not even recreational users. We used all the time together. But somehow they managed to get straight A's through call or high school, go off to college and functional do addicts, functional addicts. Yeah, like and then they slipped out, I think, into that functional addict. But somewhere along the lines, life becomes more challenging or more difficult. Or the, the amount of drugs and alcohol they do use is not so much on the weekends anymore. It's just to get up out of bed. And, and something happens. And all my friends that were like that eventually, for the most part, got uh, very heavily addicted into the serious drugs, not the party drugs. They got into heroin, you know. Well, I would think, again, from my, you tell me if I'm wrong, those people that are partaking and becoming inebriated 
mm-hmm. the category two of, of functional users, and they never think they're going to be an addict. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I didn't even think I was an addict, even when my wife had left me. You know, that's like, true. You shared that before. So huh? yeah, yeah. I mean, it took it took it took doing the steps to realize that I had a problem. And then the last group I think would be people that have friends or family members that are that they know they have a problem. So those who are affected by the affected by an addict, think, yeah. addiction. Yeah. And I think if you <laughs> that's everybody. Everybody yeah. will be in one of those categories, and I think it'd be very powerful if you focused on those different groups. Say, I'm going to talk to you, these group, and then I'm going to talk to this group, and then I'm going to talk to this group, because I think most people probably relate to one or two of those. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I read a study the other day. It said, like, one in three. I think it's the one I read last podcast or one that we talked about was one in three people, like, in the country are using prescription drugs or abusing them of some sort. It's like a third almost, you know. It's, I mean, it's like an epidemic when you're talking about yeah. a couple that's, hundred that's, people dying a day that's across prescription. the country. That's prescription overdose. That's not including alcohol. That's not including, you know, what we in the church categorize an ARP as all addictions, you know, mm-hmm. anything that can cause in your life unmanageability and the ability to not choose for yourself. I'll tell you one specific Laguna Beach. It's an issue is on the ballot is allowing uh, recreational, I think it's medical marijuana stores, or it could be recreational marijuana in Laguna Beach. Mm. And so they're voting on it in Laguna Beach. Actually, here's what it is. It's to allow, I think, two, maybe three medical marijuana locations in Laguna Beach, because currently they don't have any. But they know that on the ballot in California is to get a, and they know eventually it will happen where, yeah. like Colorado and Washington, to allow recreational marijuana to be legal. I thought that was on its way already. Is that or no? Uh, I think it's on the ballot. But what the what I've been told from people living in Laguna Beach is the first step is if you can get the monopoly of the two stores for medical marijuana, yeah. you're the ones that are going to be selling their recreation, and you got a full monopoly to be legal drug dealers in Laguna Beach. Wow, it's crazy and, to think about. That's the one thing I did talk to him. I said. Imagine what the, I talked to the principal. I'm like, I don't I envy your job at all. Imagine once how, what, how confusing of a message is it when you're telling a kid not to use drugs, but it's legal, you know? And like forever, it's been weed is the gateway drug, and now it's all it's not. And I get that it does. I, I'm, I'm the first to admit it. Like there are scientific studies that I do believe that it can have benefits, and it's definitely a healthier alternative than pain meds for someone who's suffering with like severe cancer or brain tumors or things like that. But I mean, how many of uh, those who are getting medical marijuana yeah, like things honest, actually right. have actually have uh, a cancer or any of those things? It's just like they're you know it's their excuse. You think everyone has cancer or glaucoma with all yeah, the billboards well, and advertisements yeah. around? Yeah, reality is like from what I've heard from those who have those uh, you know um, those cards where they're allowed you know, prescription basically. It's so different than getting prescription opiates. I used to right. have prescription <laughs> opiates for my mission on, and and I'd go to a shady doctor. I go to a legit doctor. It didn't matter Utah. Provo, it didn't matter Hawaii, it didn't matter Kansas, California, they're all out there. You can get prescriptions for anything nowadays, and now it's going to be weed. And then what is it going to be next? Ecstasy, you know, next is going to be legal heroin again. Like, I mean, what, what is it? I mean, I don't know. Like, acid? Like, what's the next thing? I don't know. It's crazy. But, yeah, I think these four categories would be good. I think talking to – I mean, I didn't think about So tell, tell me what you would tell to the first category of those that were me in yeah. high school. I've never – Never try. Yeah, I, I never drink. Never commend, smoke. Never. I think it's a good thing to like commend them for their choices because uh, for me, I was always. This is what I talked about last year. Is leading up to drugs was just about it being feeling accepted and wanting to make sure that like. I think there's a lot of pressure, and nowadays with social media, it's like, did they like my post? Did they see my post? Did they make fun of my post? Did they, someone tell me to kill myself, like to die? Like, there's so much pressure that every kid's feeling like they're missing out. Yeah. 
let alone whether you're good or bad, like you're doing the right thing. So being able to address them, and that's something the principal brought up too, but being able to address those first category and say, hey, look at you are accepted and you're, there are other kids that are like you out there because I honestly didn't believe at one point that there were kids not doing drugs. So I figured, well, mom, everyone's doing drugs. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just say I'm doing something crazy. Like I literally didn't believe there were other 14-year-olds or 15-year-olds like they, there are in the church because I was a convert, remember? So like, yeah, I didn't. Laguna Beach actually has a pretty strong member influence there. Yeah, totally. it, I think the, the presidents of their high school for a few, <coughs> the last Excuse 10 me. years, uh, a fair amount of them have been members of the church. Yeah. yeah. So they, I, I remember when I was sharing my story about my mission, like I kind of like can't go into super detail, but I remember talking about how I joined a church on a mission, all the Mormon kids, you could tell them like in the assembly, were like looking at each other, like smiling, like, oh, that's rad. He served a mission. Oh, that's pretty, like, that's so that was kind of cool. Like to, and then commend them for making the choices. So one thing I would say to them is continue doing what you're doing. And, and once you get out of high school, none of this will matter anyway. So there'll be no pressure like that. That's helpful. I, I think another thing from speaking from that category yeah. is to reaffirm that from your, because you've shared with me a lot where of times that, that, yeah, where's it going to lead to? Yeah. So I saw these kids that the popular kids, the cool kids, yeah. they're smoking and drinking and, you know, they're getting straight A's. They're on the surf team. They're on the football team. And they're like, getting tons of chicks does, or if they're guys, sure. if they're girls, they have lots of boyfriends. Like, sure. You know, and I didn't popular. see that affecting their life. Until now, when I look back and I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, I'm so well, glad. Well, that's the thing is, like, we were all the cool kids. Like, we were the kids that, you know, I wanted to be a cool kid. I saw that was the quickest way in, and so I took it. And then before you know it, like, it became it became such a whirlwind of trying to, like, keep up with everyone and and uh, so much pressure. And I could, that was before social media. I mean, we had MySpace, but that was way before Instagram <laughs> and the stuff that they're going through. And, did you just pull MySpace out? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. But did you, you have used, a MySpace? Yeah, I customized my page and everything. I, I had to have someone else do it. I was... <laughs> Computer <laughs> illiterate, but one of my buddies who was like a little hacker designed it and it had like all. Do you the still cool... have access to it? I'd love oh to see man, this. it had like Sublime song playing. It probably when you still exists. On. It probably does. Yeah, I've never looked that. That'd be amazing. Look up Jay on. It okay. might be not be good because you might see a bunch of other stuff I used to do. But uh, <laughs> I'm gonna hunt that down. I met my. Yeah, I actually met a girl that I joined the church with. Anyway, so that was on MySpace. But yeah, okay. uh, old girlfriend. But anyways, yeah, so that'd be good. And then as far as number two category, functional users like those. So again, did you consider yourself if you're Go back to 16-year-old Jay, and yeah. you happen to be at this. Are you going to consider yourself a functional user that you will always be able to use in moderation? And no, like right off or, the bat, I wasn't functional. Like I, so you would you would not identify with being because no, I was already dysfunctional before that. Like okay. I, I already had a hard time in school. Like I was never school didn't come easy. I had I had a tough beginning first grade, you know, first few grades. I moved around a lot, and there's some challenges. So no, I was set up for. So failure. what are you going to tell? I, I'm a I'm a kid who's sitting here. And I'm smoking pot, uh, you know, twice, yeah, three times and a week. I, and this I'm, is where I do share stories about the, my other friends. So I talk about how my story, and then I also, throughout that, I litter it with um, people that I, the other people that were the functional addicts, that were the jocks, uh, those who came from rich families, those who also came from families like me or middle class, upper middle class, and those who got straight A's, and I wasn't. And I talk about how we all grew up together, and I share some stories about all the things we did. And you were the crazy, out of control. Yeah, I was the one that, like, yeah, yeah, it was wild. Like, we, we were not afraid to drink at school. We were not afraid to take drugs at school functions. We were willing to do whatever it took. Probably to. wouldn't mention that. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, this is where we <laughs> As led a to. Yeah, of course, I'm of course. Tell you don't say that. Of course, but where it, where it led to was, you know, two two of these three of my closest friends are now massive addicts to heroin. They live in and out of jail. 
you know, one of them, um, probably six or seven of my closest friends have, have now either hung themselves, like, you know, committed suicide, died of overdose, just found out two months ago. A close friend of mine since I was 13, she she died. She has two little kids. You know what I mean? She's and they were in that category of functional. You like you, they were the cool you kids. saw them as the cool kids. Yeah, that the were hot to, kids, the cool, cool girls, like whatever they were, it was. They were partying they were, and showing up to school. Everyone school wanted to be in this crew and this group of people. And now, now that we're all in our 30s, uh, very few people have made it out. That you know, and it's, how many it, of them are surfing and having a good life today? Uh, majority of them still are, you know, addicted to, you know, massively addicted to alcohol. You know, they're alcoholics. They're functional. They may have a job or whatever, um, but the majority of them are are still scraping to get by. You know what I mean? Or those who were doing straight A's are now, you know, like one friend that I had went off to college, UC Santa Barbara. Um, he got, he was great, graduate economics degree. And now, you know, he came back and eventually it all caught up with him and he ended up getting himself in some serious trouble with the law and with the disease of addiction, ended up on heroin and is struggling majorly. And it doesn't mean he can't pull himself out of it. That's the best part about addiction and recovery, or I guess recovery, not addiction, is if you embrace recovery and you get honest, you can save yourself. But the problem is, like what happened last week, South Orange County, nine people don't get that option. None of those people, I'm sure, not, they're yeah. going to Exactly. And that's something I'll definitely bring up because it's so recent. Yeah. Nine people in here, I'll point to everyone in the class. Like, statistically proven, there's th- uh, you know 30% of this class, so I'll count how many were here. Boom. You know, this is 30% of you are are, are, are going to be active, you know, addicts. And okay, so talk about Category 3. This was you. Yeah, this is what, like... What do you wish someone said to you when you were 14, 15, 16 years old? Uh, that you can be honest. I think that you can, that not only can you be honest, but to, to ask for help. I think at that point, I realized there was a certain point when my mom, at 15 years old, I was a sophomore, had already been expelled from public school and had to go to a continuation school. Um, and uh, I, so I'd go once a week and I was just, I was barely getting by. She could see how miserable I was. She didn't know how to help me because I wouldn't communicate with her. So finally, she did scrape up some money and Took a second out in her house. We we you know we weren't super wealthy or anything like that. But took a second out in her house and sent me to a, a rehab program, and I finally got honest there. And I finally started asking for help to the people that were there. So one thing I've now that didn't have to happen. If I would have got honest at home and I would have reached out to someone other than my mom, maybe a counselor, because there were people along the way that tried to help me, family members. If I could have just got honest about like I don't know how to deal with stress or like I'm so behind, I don't know how to get ahead. So your message to these is to be honest, yeah, to open and be honest to someone and give them maybe some resources to be honest to. Exactly, and the challenge is is sometimes you kids do get honest with their parents and their parents don't know how to deal with it. Right. So then they go, well, forget that. I'm never doing that again. Or to a teacher, (laughs) and they get trouble. Yeah, exactly. Or counselor at school. Yeah. So that and that's where the challenge is too is is making sure there's references. I mean, like we talked about, the reason why we started this podcast is to bring awareness um, and to bring more in depth with the program. I, when I joined the church 11 years ago, I was not handed this manual, but yet it was written in 1985. 85 is what I, from my research of when this first was written, I don't think it was published widely. Yeah, but I mean, at the same point, like, I had no idea the church had any type of meetings like this, and they were right here in San Clemente. They started around the same time I joined the church and got home from my mission, and I could have been said, hey, like, hey, you're doing great, you're doing awesome, but maybe you should go check this out. So, yeah, getting a list of... A, being honest and where they can go get honest with mm-hmm. would be very helpful. Yeah, totally. And then I think that same list would go help for your fourth group of those that are affected by addiction of another. Who could they, who can they go talk to to help those people? Yeah. 
uh, I think that you asked me a good question on the drive in here was how do I, you know, part of your story is so much about the church mm-hmm. and about the ARP program. So my advice to you is don't shy away from that. That's your story. Mm-hmm. You can, you don't need to say the LDS church, ARP. You can just say my church has this and I bet your church does as well. That's true. And, and because there, I know the church is there and Mariners is right there. There's a lot of, I think I told you I met with the pastors of a lot of the churches around. Yeah. Most of most of these big mega churches, I know the Catholic Church, like there is there's resources within and ministries within those churches that are a great resource for them. Yeah, I think a lot of people that ask for this step uh, for the number four category of people who are suffering, a lot of kids, and unfortunately in Laguna Beach, this wealthy area, um, they're suffering right with with uh, their parents that are addicts and alcoholics. And right, the Canyon Club. They're yeah. one of the few towns. The, the yeah. Canyon Club is. A beautiful building in Laguna Canyon that is completely funded by alcoholics in the ta- in the area, and there's meetings there every day. You have a 16-year-old walk in the Canyon Club and say, I need help. Oh, my gosh. There's all kinds of help there. So that's yeah. probably a huge... I know a lot of people do go there. Um, it's just crazy. Like, I remember the first time when I asked questions, a lot of... I didn't know if these kids are really listening to you and if they're really relating or not, but they all do go back to the beginning parts of my story and they ask about the certain friends, like where are they at now? Mm-hmm. Or what happened with your brother, like who introduced me to marijuana like yeah. the first time and what happened to this, that, and the other. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about. I, I think that's a, a big thing is name, first names yeah. of your friends and talk about where they were and where they are today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a powerful connection. Yeah, totally. Real people. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm definitely obviously... <laughs> My, my, you know, your weaknesses come up and you get fearful and you get nervous. I immediately think of all the other people that I could think they could do better. But I think just like I did last time, it's just good to go there and share a story. As far as step 12 is going out there and being willing to share with others, you know, your recovery when you get asked. You're going to be awesome. So if you happen to be in Laguna Beach and going to Laguna Beach High School on Red Ribbon Week, I highly recommend you show up to school and yeah. you... Uh, enjoy Jay's speech. And so, go easy on me with the questions. Go easy. All right, let's 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 uh, go to the next step, uh, the podcast, which is where we hear your share. And this week's share was step four. Step four, so yeah. So let's truth. go to that right now. I'm Jay Abnacht. Hey, Jay. Grateful to be here. Grateful that the room has filled up. And I'm grateful for those who are on their way to come. And um, <clears throat> remember when I first heard step four, I shared this last week on Thursday night, but because um, they did step four, and I just remember the first time I came in, I was like, there's no way I'm going to just walk in here and, like, admit, first of all, that I even had a problem, but then right off the bat just start off and, and start writing down, like, everything I've ever done wrong, right? I mean, that just seems pretty intense when you're, like, still not sure if you really have a problem. You're kind of battling in your mind. You know you have enough of a problem, like, the other way you probably wouldn't show up in the first place because we all have our agency. We don't, none of us have to be here. We may have terms given to us by our bishop or our wives or our spouses or our husbands or all those things or our life or court or whatever it is. But we still all have choices, right? Um, I sat in court last week and um, uh, for something that I did, you know, for something that I did was stupid, but I, I sit there in court and I'm listening to all these people and like, you, you, there's people that don't show up. They call their name, right? And they don't, they're not there. And they're like facing serious jail time if they don't show up. So reality is none of us have to be here. Like we choose to be here. And whether that's a small choice to impress someone else or to maybe work on you know, trying to to look good in the eyes of others, whatever it is, it doesn't matter why you came here, is you're here. And so if you're like me and you came here for your first time or your second time or your tenth time, but you're still not sure if really you're 100% on game, don't be freaked out by this step because the first step we know is honesty. And 
you know, when you start with honesty, first you admit, like I just said, like you're here, okay? There could be a million reasons why you think you're here. When I first came, I thought I was here because, you know, I was just going to try to, my wife had left me, so I was kind of forced to be here. So I like, if I didn't come here, she wasn't going to think I was willing to change. The reality is I had a massive opiate addiction as well as addiction to muscle relaxers, any type of pills I can get my hands on. You guys, I've heard me say this before, I was consuming over a thousand prescription pills a month. And so, like, whether I thought I had a problem or not, it didn't matter, I was here. And uh, then the next step, you know, you get on is hope, and you, you start to, you know, you, you can hold on, pain ends, right? Like, that's the definition of hope, in my opinion. And it was, uh, that's the acronym as well. And then you, uh, step three, you trust in God. Okay, I think I'm gonna, I may let God try to do this for me. And then you get to step four. This fourth step, literally, when I did this step, when I first thought it was impossible to do, after I did it and did my fifth step uh, with my sponsor, it was like coming out of water. Like I felt like I, I felt like my whole life, maybe I don't know if I noticed this throughout my whole life, but at least that point in my life when my life had really became unmanageable, I was living on my mom's couch. I had a lot of consequences from my actions prior, kind of hit me all at once. You know, you hear about that. I guess you could call it rock bottom or not. I don't know how much I believe in rock bottom. I think you choose where you where you want to start, be your bottom, and then work up. If that makes sense. Right, because I could have gone worse. I could have been on the streets. I could have gone even worse. I could have gone to jail. I could have lost my life. Whatever, right? I could have. A lot of things could have been worse. But I chose to have my rock bottom. When I finally did this step, after doing my first, my other two, my other three steps, I felt like I came out of water and could breathe. And uh, I can't explain why writing. I can't physically explain to you and tell you why writing down my history or talking about my history with my sponsor of the way I dealt with stress and the way I dealt with my anxiety and the way I dealt with painful situations. And we rehashed that up. Like, I can't tell you why that set me free because I'd already done that before. You know, I joined the church. I had talked to other people about this. I, had, I thought I had talked to other addicts or other people that were friends about my life. But when I actually did it in order, I, f I felt so free. And I actually, for the first time, saw this giant, uh, like, chrono chronological is that the word right chronological like of of these patterns that i had every time my life got unmanageable and and ch or not unmanageable got challenged or it was challenging or it wasn't comfortable i ran to my uh, some form of substance whether it was pornography whether it was sex whether it was gambling whether it was drugs whether it was alcohol whether it was cigarettes whether it was excessive working at whatever it was there was always something that i felt like i needed because i wasn't good enough and i couldn't deal with life on life's terms and at the time, when I came to the meeting, yeah, it was just because I had this pill problem. Then I quickly realized when I did this step that, well, maybe I have like a, a life problem. Like maybe pills aren't my problem. Maybe I, maybe I have like this habit like of running and trying to hide. And, and, and um, there's this, the part here that says um, on the page 21 on the right and the bottom, it says, your thoughts and feelings and beliefs are actually the root of your addictive behaviors unless you examine all your tendencies towards fear, pride, resentment, anger, self-will, and self-pity, your abstinence will be shaky at best. I got sober, and I had a year sober, okay, just from coming to the meetings. Okay, like that worked for me for a year. But then around about a year, I realized that like I needed more or I was going to probably use again. I just felt it. I didn't say that, but I felt it. And I had anxiety every single day I woke up, and yet I'd had no way to run, right? I had nothing to take because I wasn't going to do drugs. I knew that. I had made that commitment and I believed in that. I don't know how that long that would have lasted. I just know that when the anxiety became 
so weighted, I felt like I was underwater. That's the only way I can really describe it. And you know what that's like. If you've been held underwater in the ocean, like, that's a not as pretty feeling to feel like you can't breathe. You know, it's a very scary feeling. But then it says, your addiction is a symptom of other causes and conditions. And when I finally did step four, I saw that. And um, it gave me that framework to, like, to, to discover these things that were, were haunting me. I thought it was drugs and alcohol. But see, I had stopped drugs and alcohol. I had stopped some of these things, and yet the anxiety was still there. I needed to find other tools. This is one of the processes, one of the steps in learning the tools that were going to change your, the rest of your life. And it's where those of us who've done the program and done all 12 steps, we sit here and you hear us say week in and week out, that, hey, you don't have to go back. That's a choice. Like, that's a choice. Like once you get recovery and you do these steps, if you, if you apply these steps throughout the rest of your life, you don't have to live in fear of relapse. I can honestly sit here and say I don't have that. Now, some people would say, well, that may, and maybe even me at times, my fear would say, well, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, anyone can just relapse. That's, you're absolutely right. You could relapse whenever you want. I can make a choice tomorrow to stop working my program and relapse. But if I honestly apply these steps, it's promised in here. These, these are real promises, right? Not only from those who wrote the 12 steps, but also from the church, from the prophets and apostles. And if we say we believe that they are who they say they are, if they're going to put their stamp of approval that this is, will guarantee that you'll be freed from your sin and your addictions, then like, you know, why don't you try it out and see what happens? Um, I'd always read the scripture, uh, either 1227, where it talks about, you know, I, I give unto man weakness, you know, so that they may be humble. And if men humble themselves and come unto me, I'm paraphrasing, then I'll, sh I'll sh first show them their weaknesses. But then they, then they have that faith in me, right? This is, I think, the part of that scripture where he talks about, I'll first show unto them their weakness. That makes sense because when you make this inventory of your life, like I did, and we talked about all this stuff, all these different ages of my life, all these different patterns I had done, when I went on my mission and it got challenging, things that you just don't talk about in the church, right? You feel like, oh, if I talk about that I didn't like my companions and I, you know, I, I really had a hard time with being on the, in the Philippines on my mission because people were starving, I had a resentment towards God. That was something I didn't bring up until I was in my inventory. That's personal. But like reality is like I didn't share that with anyone because I thought if I said that, then people, what are people going to think of me, right? And see, there's moments, that's a personal story for mine, but there's moments that you'll have with whoever sponsor you choose that will be life-changing for you if you do it, if you do it honestly. Uh, I drove home from doing my fourth and fifth step feeling like I came out of the ocean and I had been holding my breath for a, my whole life, for 30, you know, 20, well, I was 27 years old at that time. And uh, that's a long time to hold your breath. And uh, it said... Uh, there's another part in here that says, we had to care more about our healing than about our ego and reputation. Step four is an act of stepping out of the shadows of shame. That, I found that to be 100% true. I lived most of my life in self-imposed isolation, even in recovery, my first year. I thought, well, if I really share everything that I've ever done, dude, no one's going to want to, like, be my friend. Like, you know, my sponsor's going to just, like, I don't know what I thought he was going to do. He's just going to bail, like, and say, all right, man, that was it. That was the last time I'll ever talk to you. Turns out, like, we're all alike, and, and our addiction may have different colors and different, you know, looks on the outside. We're all the same, and we're not terminally unique, and we don't have to be that way. We can come out and just be honest with someone else. We can talk about the real challenges that you face in throughout your life, and uh, you can discover not only your weaknesses but your strengths. See, that's what my sponsor did. He helped me discover who my, my real strengths were. And when you can visualize, like God said in Ethan 12, when you can see your sins for what they really are, what your challenges are, your weaknesses, then if you humble yourself and continue to have faith, which is do the rest of the steps, then weak things become strong. 
I had a phone call, and it's not like trying to brag because I'm scared to death, but I had another phone call. I spoke last year at uh, Laguna Beach High School, but it was just like little sections of the freshman and sophomore. It wasn't like all at once, and then I just got a call uh, for the principal this time. Last time it was for someone in my ward that works there, and this time it was the principal. was like, hey, so I got your number. I remember you came last year. How would you like to do an f- assembly like for a Red Women Week, and you'll be like the keynote speaker, and you're going to speak to the whole school. I'm like... Dude, the first thing I want to say was, hell no. Like, what are you talking about? Like, with a microphone? Like, I mean, like, I like to talk, don't get me wrong, and I have an ego, but, like, I don't want, like, that's scary. I mean, these are kids, like, I remember how I was a kid. Like, I'd be making fun of me up there. Like, I'd be trying to, yeah, I got a question for you, and then I'd make a smart A remark that would make me look like an idiot. So that's all these things that kept going through my mind, and then all my weaknesses going through my mind, right? I started telling myself, well, I'm not good enough. Like, my story doesn't mean anything. Like, how can I relate to these kids? What do I have to say, right? But then I kept listening, and I kept listening, and of course I said yes, because that's step 12, right? Like, when you, when you get asked to share your story, you share it. And, uh, and uh, I'm scared, but it said, uh, there's this part stood out to me. It says, the Lord help, will help you change your life's course and fulfill your divine potential. You will learn that you are like other humans with strengths and weaknesses. You can begin to face others on equal footing. I believe that with wholeheartedly. And it says right there, you are like other humans, all other humans. It doesn't say just men, it doesn't say just women, it doesn't say just addicts. It says you're like all other humans. You're a combination of strengths and weaknesses, and I can now face people on equal footing. And I believe that if I rest on these truths that I know are true, then I'll be able to go there, which is next Wednesday, and uh, put something together and just speak from the heart and speak with the spirit. And just like when I did this step, it'll change my life, and maybe I'll help someone else. And um, I'm grateful for you guys, and I, I hope that this came off like a pitch to do your steps because that's exactly what it is, and that's what I mean. Because if you do your steps, you get to have these experiences, and eventually you can't just ride on other people's things. Like eventually after my year mark, I couldn't. I had to do it for myself, and I'm glad I did, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Step four, truth. This is the step, Jay, that... scary word for an addict. Truth. Yeah, in the beginning. Very scary. And I I think most people fear step four and five. Yeah. Because this is where you do your personal inventory. Yeah, especially if you're unfortunate enough to have your first meeting that you walk into, and it's one of those two steps. So if you walk into it... Like your first time, like say your, your bishop tells you to go, or your wife suggests, or a friend suggests that you go and show up and meet him here at this meeting. You walk in, the first thing out of their mouth is, go and make this searching, fearless, moral inventory and write down everything you've ever done wrong. <laughs> and then oh, and be prepared in step five to share it. What? You're like, wait a minute, I don't even know if I have a problem yet. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm ready to talk about this. It's daunting. Delicate, delicate be subject. Daunting. Delicate subject in the beginning. So if you uh, haven't read step four or done step four, do step one, two, three first. Yes. They're but, numbered in order for a reason. 
inspired reason. So I want to ask you about how many times have you done step four? Uh, luckily, I did it once. Did it one time? Yep. And did... It took me a long time, though, if I'm being honest. It did take me a while. This is step's called truth. Okay. Yeah, step... So, so a little background. I did step one, two, and three and felt really good, right? It was going to the meetings weekly. I, and you had been abstaining? I had been abstaining. Yeah, I had like eight or nine months at that point. So it was like doing really good. So uh, doing the one, two, and three, and then going to steps consistently and starting to help people and reach out and share the message. And my life got put together. My wife came back to me. Things were going great. I kind of took a break. And I was like, oh, I don't need to do step four. Like, I, you know, that's a big process. I'm doing good. Did you, were you afraid to do it? Of course. Okay. Of course, yeah. I was afraid of being judged. I had this sponsor who was awesome, and I'm like, man, I don't want him. What is he going to think of me if I tell him everything I've ever done? Okay. So you had done you had done step one through three with a sponsor. Yep, yep. And was he pressuring you to get step four? Well, it wasn't so much pressure. Just every time I went to the meeting, him and the facility, uh, the leader of the meeting um, down in San Clemente was like, Joe, you done your step four yet? It became okay. like very common. Very common. Okay. And then my and they got to a point where it was so daunting that my wife would then chime in on it, and it was like, well, what are you doing step four? Okay, so how many... Step four meetings did you go to until you did it? Did you know you went through the yeah, twelve step cycle? Quite a bit. Did you went yeah. through the twelve steps a few times? Probably like ten, fifteen times. Went almost no, a year. Not... Yeah, I went. I went. Okay. Uh, okay. I went a good like yeah. eight, six months. Yeah, it was yeah, like be four times in a year. Four or five times. Yeah, four times at least. At least okay. it seemed like it was a lot. I remember. Jan- <laughs> it seemed like I it was remember the leader time. like grabbing and do the steps, and he pound on the book and look right over at me. All of them. All one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I think there were people pressuring me because they knew, like, I need to stop creating. I had created so much buildup that was not real. I heard an acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. And that's what that's what step four was to me. It was all this false evidence that was, you know, like, I, I'm some horrible person. I've done something, you know, worse than someone else has done. And therefore, who's going to love me and accept me for who I am? Okay, so we're not going to get into what was you developed on step four. But I want to know about the process. So where did you do it with your sponsor? Um, so finally, was it one sitting or multiple sittings? It was one sitting. Okay. Where? But it was at his office okay. in, in San Clemente. How, what finally got me to finally to sit down and do it was I started sponsoring someone because I had been coming from recovery mm-hmm. for so long. People kept hearing me share and people were asking me to sponsor him. Okay. Well, that was good and dandy until one guy actually decided to do one, two and three really fast. And then he's like, all right, man, I'll finish step three. And then I'm on step four. And then I looked at my sponsor. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I haven't done step four. He's like, you need to get it done. Let's just do it together. So I had a little unique situation. Um, I didn't um, sit at home and write for four or five days straight, like by myself. I had reflected a lot. And I had done some writing. I had done a lot of it myself. But I kind of completed step four and five together. So a little So unique. the self-examination, the questions in the in the manual you did yeah, with your yeah, sponsor. Yeah, you know, and I did a worksheet. So I had this worksheet. Uh, okay. It's a great link. Uh, I have to look that up. But it's, it's we'll a, post it in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Four four step inventory, I believe it was dot com, and it's like this worksheet that like helps you break it down by resentments, fears, sexual misconduct, and um, was it church based, LDS based, no, or just no? no okay. It was a twelve step thing okay. by AA. AA, okay. And I recommend it because it makes it very cut and dry. There's not like a lot of questions and options of well, I don't really understand. It says talk about fears, it says talk about this. It was very clear what to sort of write down and how it affected me, who it affected else, and what were my thoughts on it now. So I think it's 
in in the ARP manual, it doesn't say there's one way to do it. It says here's some ways. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's got because, their take on it because there's different methods. So you can get on the internet and look for four step. There's tons of resources yeah, totally. out there. There's like seminar, like a one church here in in and somewhere on PCH. They you go down to this little Catholic church and go. There's like this old we had man. A few people do exactly. That right they now. go there and they do an eight hour thing where you on go Saturday. and lock in and they teach you how to do it and get it done one day. So that's I I do love that about the twelve step. It's like denominational like yeah, who cares free. like yeah everyone who cares? like we're it. here to help you yeah totally. and the fourth step is the fourth step uh so you go to his office and what you got a notebook yeah Did yeah you- so I, I went there and i had some of the paperwork that i already written down i'd done a lot of resentments a lot of my fears um and then we sat down and we just kind of went through the chronological order of my life and the patterns of... So when did you start? Like at what age did uh, you, you I start? I talked about my earliest memories. I talked about when I was even, believe it or not, like uh, probably when I was five or six, mm-hmm. some things that had happened, uh, some fears, some resentments I had towards school teachers, some different things that had happened that were kind of... I didn't think they shaped my life, but like were, I realized... You, you were afraid of your sponsor judging you? Yeah. Were you throwing out like super soft stuff just to feel out how? Yeah, I definitely. Were you feel, were you were you feeling the situation? I opened up out? more. Yeah, I opened up more as we got as we talked, and it ended up being a four or five hour process. Well, I guess my question is, there was probably some state some point in your four hour meeting where you're like, okay, this guy's not going to judge me. I'm going to lay it all out there. Yeah, a good sponsor will like help 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 his. Uh, Sponsor and everyone's good if they're trying, right? I'm not trying to say there's like a right or wrong way, but there's uh, probably sponsors that are better than others. Like they've yeah, sure, through, right? yeah, yeah. People are people, right? So, yeah. well, one thing that is really good is when a sponsor. I happen to have a sponsor who also works in recovery. He's actually yeah. got his like when after he got sober himself, and then went back to school and became a licensed counselor. So I like have an advantage of someone who go. really knows professionally trained, professionally trained, right? And he was able to which, share, which isn't needed, but not needed at all, of course. And and uh, but. He would share incidences in his life to help me feel comfortable. I didn't realize that's what he was doing, but it made me feel comfortable. It's a lot easier to talk about your life if someone's like, let me tell you, like, someone, when I was that age, this is what I did. And you're like, oh, man, okay, like, I've done that too. And then you start talking, you start building this relationship. And then you, I started seeing him like, oh, because – I don't know. I'm always naive. Like even when I joined the church, I thought all the members were perfect. I thought no, you know, I had reached Zion on on Earth, and like it was just like everyone. We're I saved. really did feel that way. Like yeah, it was like no one could. Say, I felt that way, and I felt that way again in the program, and I felt that way that like I'm like oh man, as if he was an addict himself too. Like if he hadn't, of course he'd walk the same roads. Like mm-hmm. that we're all the same. We're all one in this. And so. so what? So on that step, what's some advice? You've been a sponsor and yeah. a sponsoree. What's some advice for someone that maybe gone through the twelve step that's getting ready to sponsor someone else going through the four step? What what is some advice you give them? Um, I definitely uh, get that. We'll put the, like I said that link. We'll make sure we post that on the notes. I definitely think that's, uh, so, that's I reference that to everyone. So this, now. Uh, if you're a sponsor, come prepared to the meeting. Yeah, well, yeah, come prepared. But like you prep them first after they do step three to talk about step four and and say, listen, man, there's no right or wrong way to do this. Of course. One thing I just want you to do is be honest and not be fearful. And it talks about – that's why I love the book. You know, So um, it talks about fearless. And they talk about it in the second paragraph on page 21 of the ARP manual. It says, when we say fearless, we do not mean you will have no feelings of fear. You will likely experience many emotions, right, as you, as you do this. And it says fearless means you will not let your fears stop you from being thorough in your inventory process. It's the first time I heard that. So that means I used to think, well, if you're fearless, you have no fear. Yeah. Right? No. It's saying you have fear, you acknowledge it, but you keep going on anyways. 
So that's, that's a big good, thing yeah. to tell someone. Like they're gonna have a lot of fear. They they're nervous. So they're, prep them for that. Prep them that like looking in the mirror is not gonna be easy. This is like freaking ripping off a band-aid or something. It's like it's it's cleaning out a wound. I've heard you talk about like you're yeah. you're covering out the wound and you're digging in there and getting the rocks out, you know, and you like get cut in the, in oh. the bottom from the reef or something yeah. like that. You gotta clean your foot out. Like it's a painful experience. Pouring alcohol after Yeah, it. and in the meantime you're like, ah, maybe I'll just bandage this thing up and just nah, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. Like I got halfway through it, I'll leave that little rock there. Yeah. Remember we're in Mexico and I cut my foot? It was yeah. like very easy for me to just go, okay, we're done. Instead it was like rub lime in yeah. it or clean that out. Yeah. And then cleaning it daily and that sucked the second time. The first one was hard enough. But yeah. So here's another fear that I think is real. I've had people share with me, uh, even just coming to ARP or 12-step meetings, is what gets shared there is like, I don't want anyone to know this. Yeah. So how did you overcome that of knowing, I'm going to tell my sponsor my dirtiest, my scariest, the things that I am so ashamed of and that you don't want anyone to know. How did you get over that? Or did you just trust? Yeah, I think at that point, I think it, that's why you got to be really prayerful in, in selecting your sponsor because that's something that you want to make sure that they're going to be able to keep it because not everyone, let's be honest, like some people have big mouths. I have a big mouth, you know, but like one thing I've managed to do is when people do share with me, it's a spiritual experience where the Lord like really touches you and like you feel that this is sacred that this person's sharing with you and you feel... I've also never looked at people more in a Christ-like manner than I probably did then. Even when I was on my mission or anything else, like it, it was a spiritual experience okay. that I hadn't had in a long time when I first did my first four-step with someone. To listen to the things that like some of the things we do as drug addicts or alcoholics or sex addicts, you know, things that we do in our in our in our addiction is it's pretty intense. But to so the first thing I like I said is is to prep your prep your your sponsee that you know being honest is huge. And knowing that, like, hey, man, I'm going to share some stuff with you, too, just so you know that, like, you're not the only one. That's good to open up yourself as a sponsor. to got to be vulnerable. Know. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. every time, this last time I did a four-step, or fifth step with someone where they went over their four-step, I shared things with them that I had shared in three years since I did my four-step. But I felt it appropriate, too. And uh, I feel like that opened up more honesty from the person I was working with. Did you, uh, at the end of the step, it talks about burning or destroying, it yeah. say burning, but destroying what you wrote down. Did you do that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do that per se because like, I didn't feel, I had already had some sobriety, right? Uh, like uh, quite a bit of time. It was more so the, the current but, things. But did you write stuff down and yeah. then destroy those yeah, like, I mean, don't, I th- don't exist th- today? I or? threw it away. I think for me, it was more of a feeling. I, I wasn't, I was at a point in my life where I was willing to recognize those things and it. They didn't have 100% weight down on me. What had weight on me was some of the current things I was doing. So it wasn't like I had all this old stuff I had never talked about. Okay. I had talked about a lot of that, but it was some of the more recent stuff. And because I don't know if it was where I was at or what, I didn't feel like uh, that I like, you know, I hear people talk about, that's awesome. That, that, that's been great for them. But I felt like I was in a place where I was really honest with where I was. And so it was like... You're unique, I think, in that manner where you're so candid with your... yeah. You're so honest. You're brutally that, honest about to you yeah. about yourself. Yeah. Well, at that point, everyone, I was. But when I first came, I mean, dude, there was you no. Oh, if you asked the, if you asked my sponsor who was there the first time I walked into a meeting, I sat there with my arms folded for months. Now, I'm not an addict, you know. I'm I'm a son of God. I'm this. I'm Jay. I'm yeah. this. I I would never admit that I had a problem, you know. And one thing I do want to talk about, and also in this in the manual on page 21, it says your thoughts and your feelings and beliefs are actually the root of your addictive behaviors. It said. Um, your addictions are symptoms of other causes and conditions. And so when I came to realize that, like, oh, maybe, like, 
anyone would have a drug addiction if they had all these other things that they hadn't dealt with, these character defects or weaknesses. That lifted up a lot of, like, shame that I had on myself, right? Because I was shaming myself tremendously. How could you let yourself do this? How could you let yourself become this way when you're a father, a priesthood holder, like, all these things? When I realized, like, well, it's not like I chose that. It was I didn't deal with so many little things. Yes. But then when they became a lot of things, then, of course, I looked for something to escape from. Okay, we're going to close. I want to close with you telling me, you know, this inventory. I like to share that Siri knows exactly where we're going. You know, our phone yeah, tracks us. And you get in the car and you get ready to leave, and it tells you, tells me, it told me I'm going to ARP. Yeah. And I was in Costa Mesa, and it said, here's how much time you go, and these are the routes to take. And I'm like, uh, like it just what? studies your patterns. It just studies it's your patterns. So, you know, doing this inventory, God's not going to be surprised by anything. That's true. He already knows this. Yeah. And neither is your sponsor usually. <laughs> and, and you're probably not going to shock your sponsor. <laughs> Definitely not. But Ether 12, 27 talks about having your weak things become strong. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell, we're going to close with this, is all those things that you thought were weaknesses that are shamed, pick maybe one of them and how that's now a strength in your life. Yeah, I think uh, the big thing that church members specifically is like if you're if you're an elder, right, or if you're a return missionary, or if you have the priesthood, or if you're just like an you've been an active member your whole life. I've seen members like this, um, and then you've let your life become extremely unmanageable to your disease, whatever it is, whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, gambling, or overeating, whatever it is, right? Food addiction, spending. You get to a point where you're like, like I said, you want to stop, but then once you do stop. The, I, I noticed that confession in the beginning, the honesty, it's very therapeutical. It's like an amazing moment. You cry, you get honest, you share, right? At a meeting or to a loved one or a spouse or a bishop. Then afterwards, the longer you was staying in the beginning, especially for drug users, when I got, the longer I had sober, the more I started remembering things. And I remembered all the things I did in my addiction. And I felt so ashamed that I would, uh, someone who had all these gifts given to him and knowledge through the gospel and so many spiritual, I had, it's not like I just had a little testimony. I had some very extreme, deep spiritual experiences with a lot of the principles of the gospel. It's not like I didn't know what I was doing. But like I said, I had all these other character weaknesses and things and challenges from my past that I didn't really deal with fully and, and ways with dealing with stress. So the biggest thing for me that it was a weakness uh, was admitting that I had a problem. That was my biggest weakness. They had drugs and alcohol. They were huge, my pride, my ego. But my biggest thing is that ego. I did not want to admit to other people that I had a problem. I just had a challenge or it was just a moment or it was it was just the amount of pills I was taking. It wasn't that I was an addict to pills. So the biggest thing, that was a huge weakness. And if you knew me before, on your, the way to my ego. first meeting, being taken by a friend who also was in the program, um, when he took me to my very first meeting, um, I, I remember debating with him on the whole drive there that I wasn't an addict. And yet I'd been taking the same amount of opiates as he was. I was stealing pills. I, my wife had left me. I got kicked out of BYU. Like all, I mean, I got kicked out of a lot of things in my life. A lot of things are falling apart. Sleep on my mom's couch for crying out loud. So that's your pride. My pride. And the whole drive to the meeting, I was saying I'm not an addict. And I didn't even admit it afterwards. But a few months later, I did. And that was the most liberating thing. And I believe now, like we talked about earlier, where like now I got a principal call me from Laguna Beach. And instead of going, well, how'd you get my number? How do you know? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm an addict and I'm in recovery. And he even he's even telling me about like no don't you downplay your story man I was there last year for a couple of it and you know you have some strengths so you're hum- so 
your pride turn to humility. It's not even, it's humility. Some yeah. people think humility is a weakness. Yeah. You're still a very confident person. Yeah, and I know addicts still sometimes, I mean, we have a nature of addicts to be, what we all do is human nature, right? To have ego. And I heard an acronym for ego and it's edging God out. And I really believe that is, is I used to edge God out of a lot of things, including my responsibility in my own actions, right? I edged, um, I edged, I don't know. I just, I shamed myself a lot for the things I did. But, you know, like I said, unless you've walked in my shoes, you know, unless you've experienced the things I've experienced or lived my life, then, um, then you don't really know what that's like. But there is one who has, and that's a savior. And that's one thing I did find in my recovery, which led me to be so open and take that weakness of not admitting I had a problem into sharing it with others. Powerful. Thanks, Jay. We're done for the night. All right, man. Till the next step, I'm Brad. And I'm Jay Amnag. Real Talk Baby. from thee.
thy 